0: Well folks, we made it. We started in 1981 and now we are finally caught up to the year 2021. You've heard all about my childhood, my middle school years and my high school years. You've heard about my early girlfriends and my college life and my journey to Guatemala and meeting my amazing wife. You know all about my wedding day and my honeymoon and finding Jesus and finding my church and slogging through so many troubles and struggles. You've heard the birth stories of all three of my kids, and you've heard all the ups and downs of my business and work experience, and most importantly of all, you've heard some pretty amazing stories of my adventures in life with the people that I love the most. And now we have arrived at the finale. It's the year 2021, and in this episode, I turn 40 years old. Stick around, and I'll tell you all about it. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. So we've got a lot to get through this year, but I got to start with one of the greatest adventures we've had as a family and one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life. And that is our snowshoeing trip this February in Taos, New Mexico. In early 2021, we are still kind of on the back half of the year that our kids were all at home. Homeschooling or doing virtual school, you know, COVID, COVID was really hot and heavy and it was still wild. And you know, I mean, it still is now, but we we just didn't know as much as we know now. People weren't vaccinated yet. And it was just like, we're staying at home, right? And so in the fall of 2020, we went out to Idaho and did that whole trip. And in the late winter in February of 2021, we decided, hey, let's do another trip, man. Why not? You know? And so a friend of mine, Andy, my my, uh, shooting partner for these big events that I've talked about a bunch of times, he had recently done this trip, the snowshoeing trip and cross country skiing trip out to Colorado, where they would um snowshoe and ski from yurt to yurt um on this like i don't know this series of yurts that th- this guy owns and I saw his like social media posts about that, and I was like, "Damn, that looks pretty amazing. um we need to do something like that." so I texted him and got the info and found out that they have this one right outside of Taos, New Mexico, which is one of my favorite places. Micaiah grew up in New Mexico, was born there. And, you know, it's just sort of, it's a special place in our hearts. And so we booked this yurt for, I think, five nights. I think it was, maybe maybe more. I, I don't really know. I think it was at least five nights. And in, uh, in in early February, we loaded up and hit the road. Me and Micaiah and Emma and Wynn and Rosie... And we we had borrowed or bought snowshoes for everybody, and you know we borrowed a lot of gear basically. But we just thought like, hey, let's just do it, you know. And we had done some kind of well, we've always been pretty active as a family, so we but we did some extra like hiking and stuff just to kind of you know get the kids ready for this you know type of thing. And so we we drive out to Taos, New Mexico, and you know it's it's snowing out there. It's beautiful. It's kind of like the winter wonderland that you kind of hope for. And I knew that. The mountains in Taos had gotten a lot of snow um, this year, and so we were pretty excited about that. So we drive out there, and, you know, we stayed in a few hotels along the way and everything, and, like, you again, it was weird because, you know, COVID had everything shut down still, and New Mexico was locked down pretty tight. You know, restaurants weren't open, and, you know, it was just kind of a ghost town, so it kind of made sense to kind of head for the hills, you know. And the ski area there in Taos was open, but it was all kind of like way low um, numbers. And, you know, the the amount of people was just pretty low. But we get out there and we drive up to the Taos Ski Village. And basically what we were going to do was, according to the map and the information that we got, we were going to hike starting from Taos Ski Village two miles, a little more than two miles straight up this mountain um, that shares a saddle with Wheeler Peak, which is the tallest mountain in New Mexico, which I've climbed a couple times. Um, but you know, it's just a beautiful, amazing area. And we had a two mile hike to get up there, all like the whole thing was snow. You know, so right at the very beginning, we, we get our snowshoes out. And we get all strapped on. We all have like a backpack, and I had the bulk of kind of the the hardware, the hard hard goods. You know what I mean? And the deal with this yurt was, there's no power up there, there's no running water, and there's no food up there. Uh, There is like propane and gas stove. There's a wood burning fireplace in there, and there's propane lanterns inside, and that's it. So you have to carry all your food up there. And one good thing about it being in the snow is you don't have to carry any water because all your water is going to come from snow melt, Um, and which was really fun. I'll tell you about that in a minute, but. So I've got, you know, everybody kind of has their backpack with all their, you know, personal items on it, you know, clothes and, you know, it's winter, it's freaking cold. So you have extra clothes, jackets, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff and everybody's carrying their own stuff. And Micaiah had, you know, some of the hardware, but I had the bulk of it because I had my backpack and I also had this giant red duffel bag that, you know, I've been dragging around forever And the duffel bag was just full of like all of our food, all of our just just hard goods. Like we had extra water bottles and, you know, just cookware. We had like macaroni and just like boxes of like dry food. And for the most part, we carried a lot of, you know, dry or dehydrated foods. But we did also bring some like, you know, bacon and like sort of those creature comforts and things that you want, you know, coffee and you know, all these things. And we also had some games and then people had like extra jackets in there and sleeping bags and all that to say like this duffel bag got pretty heavy. And my plan was I was going to um, strap the duffel bag onto this sled and drag it, you know, up the mountain because I had seen and and read and people say like, oh yeah, you got to pull a sled. Like, don't try to put everything on your back put it on a sled and drag that up. And so we had this like blue plastic, like one of those circular plastic, like dish style sleds um, that was really like cheap. I mean, it's like one of those dollar store things that we just kind of had laying around. And so we, we pack up all our stuff kind of at the base of the mountain and, and we park the car and everything and we get loaded up and I've got the duffel bag strapped onto the sled And I thought like, you know, this, this will be easy. Well, we get going up the uh, mountain and like the first half of the hike up was one of the most fun things I've ever done. Um, It was just great. We're out there, you know, Rosie had really never even seen like a significant amount of snow before. And so it was so fun. You know, the kids are throwing snowballs and like, you're just out there. Like as soon as you leave, you know, the parking area there in the ski village, you're basically just in the wilderness You know, I mean, almost instantly you feel like you're really out there and it's just beautiful. The trail was, you know, clearly marked and there's like little creeks kind of running through and there's just, I mean, it's like heavy snow, not a little bit of snow. There was like four to five feet of snow base at this mountain at this time. And so it was like crazy. And and the first like, basically the first mile of this trail was a little bit more well-traveled Uh, and so the snow was packed down a little bit more, but as we got higher up on the mountain, it was, it was loose, light snow, you know, without the snowshoes, you fall into it, you know? And so we go and it's, it's the first mile. Like I said, the first half was just amazing. It was so much fun. Me and Makai are just so happy and we're looking at each other and it's like, Oh, we're doing something so cool with our kids. Like this is an adventure that people just don't take. And, I don't know that it just felt so good and so fun. I just love doing that, you know, with her and, and just sort of reveling in it all together. And I've got my um, Apple watch tracking my hike, you know, and according to my watch, I was I had gone a lot farther than I really had. And that that begins where we have some trouble on this hike, Um because two things happened. Number one, when we get to the point um, well, I'm, I'm looking at my watch and my watch is telling me that I've gone like 1.8 miles, 1.9 miles, you know, and I'm thinking like, oh, this is easy. Like we're almost there because I know it's like a 2.1 mile hike to this, to this place. And my watch is telling me 1.9 miles. Sweet. Like this is no big deal, you know, and it really hadn't even gotten steep or difficult. We just, it was just fun. And, uh, and I was a little disappointed because I was like, it doesn't feel like we're very far from the car right now. And, What I realized later was for whatever reason, my watch was way off, way off because when I, when my watch said I had gone 1.9 miles, I had actually gone like 0.9 miles. In other words, my watch had like doubled the amount of distance that I had actually traveled. And so I keep waiting for, to kind of come around a bend and like, there's the yurt Right. And then we kind of like Makai's watch is different than mine and it was, there's was a little bit of confusion and what we weren't kinda keep keeping track. I mean, like the, the map, the physical map that we had wasn't really making sense with my watch. And so it's like, what's going on? Uh but it was still all good, you know, we're just like, Well, let's just keep going. And then s- pretty soon, like the second thing that happened was I didn't really realize this until later, but what happened was My sled had broken, this cheap like blue plastic sled had broken and cracked underneath and it had had become basically a snow plow because the front edge, like the sharp edge that had cracked was just like digging and biting into the snow and that's when pulling the sled got really, really, really hard. And so I started to slow down massively and I was just thinking like, oh, it's the altitude and I'm just tired and it had gotten steeper and the snow had gotten, you know, a little looser. So it was a little bit more slow going and I just thought like, man, I'm just tired, you know. And in reality, it was this freaking sled that had broken and was creating a snowplow situation. And so because of all that, you know, I was I was pulling up the rear end. Like I was I was in the back. The kids were doing really great. Climbing strong, when Rosie and Emma were all just absolutely super strong, and Makai was was also feeling super strong and and just kind of going for it, and so they were kind of going slow to kind of wait for me, and finally I just said like, "Hey, y'all, just go on ahead, just just hike all the way, go at your own speed, whatever feels good. I'm just going to be going slow because I'm having a hard time." So she's like, "Are you sure?" And I said, "Yep, all good. You know, I got a bottle of water, I got I got a freaking sled full of gear, you know." So I'm good. Y'all Y'all hit it. So they said, all right. And they took off. And this was, again, like about halfway, you know, up the thing. So I had gone one mile, even though my watch said I had gone two miles and I had another mile to go. But in my in my mind, I'm like, well, throwing out all the map because none of this stuff is right. I don't have any clue how long I've got left. So I'm going to just try to keep crushing it. So I keep going and it's just, oh my gosh, it gets so hard. And again, like I still hadn't realized why yet that you know that it was that hard because my sled had broken. I thought I was just weak and so I'm going super slow and at some point I turn around to get a drink of water and my water bottle's gone. So now I don't have any water. I'm freaking dying. I don't have, I don't know how far away it is. I'm not going back. You know, I'm not going down. My family's up ahead. I've got all the food. I just got to keep cranking. And it was it was literally without a doubt the hardest thing I've ever done like physically. Um, straight up this mountain, 13,000 feet, you know, pulling this damn sled that had become a snowplow with all this gear and I got no water. I eventually just started like, I would literally go like three or four steps and then stop and take a break. Three or four steps, stop and take a break. And when I had done like 10 of those three or four step, you know, things, I would sit down and like Literally, I just started eating snow. I just needed something to to wet my whistle, you know. So now I'm just eating snow. I'm just like, oh, it was rough, man. It was hard. And I finally get up to, you know, where the hill kind of levels out. And you get to um, this area called the Bull of the Woods Meadow. And we were renting the Bull of the Woods Yurt. If you want to look that up, I highly recommend it. And, and the on the map, it said, when you arrive at the meadow, you know, just look up and through the trees, and you'll see the yurt out there. And then, you know, you just kind of hike through the meadow, and that's that. And, of course, I'm following their snowshoe tracks anyway, so it was pretty clear, like, where to go. And I get up to the Bull of the Woods meadow, and I see the yurt up there, and I'm just like, oh, I'm so happy. And I so I have to hike across the meadow. And at one point on the meadow, like, I was just, like, looking up. My family's out there on the uh, deck. You know, they had gotten into the yurt, and they were just kind of putting their stuff down. And and so, like, I'm waving at them, and I take a step, and uh, my snowshoe had come off, you know, and with the last step. And I take a step, and my foot hits the snow without the snowshoe on, and I sink all the way up to my hip, like, immediately. Just boom, like, just completely fell in. And, man, when you're trying to get out of snow that's, like, four feet deep, it's really not easy to do, you know, there's nothing to press against when it's like loosely packed like that. And this is like, I'm making fresh tracks, you know, basically. And so um, that was wild. And again, I was so freaking tired. And so finally, I get out of the snow, and I get up there and, and unclip and, you know, drop all the stuff. And that's when I realized my sled was just like shrapnel. I was basically just dragging this red um, duffel bag with with nothing under it, you know, And I just like go in the yard and just like plop down, like drink a whole bottle of water. And, you know, I'm just like sweating and, you know, steaming and, and, uh, you know, it's just like, geez, holy shit, you know, and, and I looked at my watch and it said that I had gone four miles and I was like, something's not right. And we eventually figured out that like my watch was just wrong for some reason. I have no idea why, because it was, it was only two miles, but oh my gosh hardest freaking two miles really hardest one mile because the first mile was pretty easy but man it was rough so now we're at the yurt and like i I can't really describe properly like how completely remote it was i mean we were only two miles from civilization but and there was some other hikers on the trail that we saw like at least on the bottom half you know during the day but at night there's not anybody up there and it's just desolate. I mean, it's total silence, you know, in the trees, and the stars are just screaming at you. I mean, just pitch black sky, billions of stars, nobody around two miles from the town. And that's not much, but it's two miles straight uphill and four feet of snow. So like, you're out there. You know, there was no chance that we were going to go down for anything. And it was just so much fun to be up there in that situation. Um, And so we get up there and we start, you know, we get a fire going in the wood burning stove. And the wood burning stove has this big flat, you know, area on the top where, where you could cook and stuff. And they had these gigantic stainless steel pots that we would go outside and fill up with snow, bring it in, put it on top of the wood stove and let it, uh, let it melt, you know, and then it would start boiling, and you got to let it boil for, you know, a minute or so, and then we'd take it and put it back outside to cool off, and then we can drink water. So the whole time that we were up there, we constantly had, like, two big pots going. Like, as soon as one came off the stove to go outside to cool, we'd put another big pot of snow on the stove, you know, because you just drink a lot of water up there. So so we, we got that going, and Micaiah gets the little... um stove not the wood burning stove but the gas like propane stove fired up and you know we're starting to kind of cook something hot and and get something good going and inside the yurt it's just like wood floors and there's like four wooden bunk beds with like futons on the bottom and a big like um, picnic table in the middle and these you know coleman propane lanterns kind of everywhere there's four or five of them beautiful like windows. And I mean, it's just a canvas yurt, you know, and it was just like the most fun place that you could possibly imagine. Like absolutely the coolest experience literally in my life. I don't know that anything has really topped it yet. Like when I think back on this trip, I have, it's just like truly like remains one of the most like magical and fun things we've ever done just, just being up there, you know, just, just being there. Like everything we did was fun. The cooking was fun. The cleaning up was fun. The boiling, the snow melt and, and building the little fires. And there was like an unbelievable stash of firewood in this place. Um, you know, just for like all the guests that were going to come throughout the year. And, and so like we had just infinity firewood, infinity snow and water and absolutely zero power. And we had brought some like you know, battery packs and solar packs for, you know, charging our phones and stuff. So we could take pictures and, and everything that we did up there was so much fun. And, you know, one of the things that I remember was every morning, you know, we would be laying in our sleeping bags in our beds, you know, just staying warm. And I would always get up in the middle of the night and like stoke the fire because this wood burning stove was the only heat that we had, you know, and it was It was really cold it was below freezing every night i think it got down to like the teens um not i can't really exactly remember but 18 20 21 degrees that kind of thing and uh and so before i went to bed i would stoke the fire you know and then it would die out and maybe around like 4 a.m i'd wake up cold and get up and do that again and then every morning rosie would get up before anybody and I remember like the very first morning she comes over to me and I'm laying in my sleeping bag in my bunk and and she's like whispering and she's like, Dad, can I build the fire? And I'm like, absolutely, baby. And so it was really, really fun. I told her to be real quiet, but she would, uh, I would give her like step-by-step instructions on what to do. So I said, okay, I want you to go over there and open the door. Okay, so she'd go over there, open the door and come back and I'd say, all right, now you need to get some of that kindling and there's this little box of like small sticks and kindling i said all right now stack some of that kindling in there in a teepee style okay so she'd do that and then say come back so she'd come back and i'd say now you got to get some newspaper and tear it up there's this huge box of newspaper said, so tear up the newspaper in strips crinkle it up and stuff it up under that teepee." Okay, so she'd do that and come back, you know. It's like this quiet, like whispering game, and trying to keep everybody else asleep. And I look over at one point, Makai is just laying there in her tent or uh, sleeping bag, just like watching and smiling, you know, in that cozy, you know, like you know how it is when it's cold outside and you are cozy, and and so then Rosie tell her go back. Now you got to get the box of matches and light a match carefully and then hold it gently. I, you know, I made. A, I always make a big point about fires. Like, don't don't go fast. You don't want to throw stuff. You want to go slow. You know, reach in there slowly, light it carefully, let go of the match, and pull your hand out. So she lit the fire for us. And then she, she you know, once it burned down a little bit, I had her add the bigger wood. And, and like, so every morning that we were there from that first morning on, Rosie would build the fire for our whole family while we were still in our sleeping bags. And then when we got up, it was pretty warm in there, you know. So she had so much fun, like you know, just sitting in front of the fire and watching it and tending to it and stoking it. And it's like one of those like fire tending is one of those kind of ancient, you know, rites of passage. You know, It's like, it's just such an amazing experience. It's unlike anything else. And so it's so cool for me to just be laying in my sleeping bag and watching my girl like do that for us. And so during the day up there at the yurt, you know, we would strap on our snowshoes and just go outside and hike and and sled and just play up there and you know we didn't really see any other people like maybe one or two people kind of hiked through the area but like it was just it was our mountain for the week basically and uh, and there was an outhouse outside you know and and you know you have to go out there to kind of do your business and one of the funny things was they had a um, a toilet seat the outhouse but you kept it inside so it would stay warm and so it was like on a little rope with a with a hanger and so if you needed to go uh, do your thing out there you grab the toilet seat from inside you got to put your jacket on and your boots walk out of the yurt down the steps across the snow open up the outhouse put the toilet seat down on the thing you know do your thing and then bring the toilet seat back inside and and the kids just got a kick out of that you know it was so fun and uh it was just so wild like one of the things i remember about that trip is you know if if i had to uh get up and use the bathroom in the middle of the night um you know like most of the time i would just like pee off the deck um but you know sometimes i would just go in the outhouse just because it was fun to like have to go out there you know and even though it was like nasty it's just such a wild experience to be like 20 degrees outside and i'm in basically my pair of tights and like no shirt but like big winter jacket and like boots that you just kind of slip on in the middle of the night and just like being outside in that environment is just such a bizarre like otherworldly experience you know when are you ever in that situation at 13,000 feet on four feet of snow at 20 degrees just standing outside in the darkness and I just remember like looking around and going like damn you know I've come a long way man life has been freaking cool, man. And that's, that's what my head thinks about, you know? And so I got to move on. The rest of that trip was just amazing. You know, nights of playing games, Scrabble. We've got this game called Quarto, playing cards, drinking hot tang. And Micaiah had this genius idea. I had bought a little, brought a little flask of vodka. And so we would make a hot tang with vodka in it, which Micaiah called Wu-Tang, which I thought was fantastic. And uh, just, just hanging out and reading books in the you know, in the yurt at night after the kids go to bed. And, and, you know, one of the things I'll definitely remember about that was for some reason, I usually have a lot of music downloaded on my phone, but I had just gotten a new phone and didn't have much downloaded on it. But I did have uh, the Tom Petty's Greatest Hits album downloaded on it. So, you know, I always like to have music going. And so for that whole week, the only thing we listened to was Tom Petty, you know, it was just like a perfect soundtrack, you know, waking up and kind of cooking bacon and turning on some Tom Petty. And, like that that's always going to be the music for that trip in my head. Uh and then two other fun things about that uh trip to mention. Really just one thing was I had a couple of movies downloaded on my iPad and so we were going to have a couple movie nights in there. And we watched two fantastic movies. One is kind of a special movie for me and Micaiah that we watched on our honeymoon. And our kids have grown to love it, too. And that's the movie National Treasure starring Nicolas Cage. Um, What a freaking great movie. If you haven't watched that movie with your kids, so, so good. Say what you will about Nicolas Cage, but I freaking love him. I think he's great. Uh, So we watched National Treasure in the yurt. And again, like, just picture this, like, we're sitting on a futon. You got blankets and sleeping bags all over you. You've got a wood-burning stove going. You got one lantern lit for a little bit of light. And you're drinking hot tang. And I remember, I think the night that we watched that, uh, I made some ramen just as like a late night snack just because I had some. And So we watched National Treasure. And the next night we watched another great movie, Secretariat, which like was just so much fun. Such a beautiful movie. And so those are just these special memories that I'm going to have and take with me um, of these like just family times, man. I think that was one of the most fun things about this yurt trip was that it was just us you know it was just us and we had so much fun together and and playing games and like gosh like if i could replicate that type of a vibe um just one more time i'm gonna be so happy about it and the cool thing is i know that i'm gonna do that 30 40 50 more times because that's what freaking life is about man so we had an amazing, amazing trip in the yurt, and there's so much more to say, but we got to move on. Um, and so we, we pack up on the last day and hike down the mountain, and thankfully we had you know eaten up all of our food and stuff, and so going down was much lighter and easier, and I didn't have to drag a sled. And, and we get down, and we drive back home, and we get back to Arkansas. And what's crazy is about a week or a week and a half after we got back to Arkansas, Arkansas got the biggest snowfall we've ever gotten i think in arkansas's like recorded weather history Uh, we got two feet of snow in arkansas in north little rock right at our house a week and a half after we got back from the yurt and so it was just like the winter of snow you know like that's that's how i'm gonna remember it and you know, everyone's going to remember that snowfall in Arkansas. It was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. We had one enormous snowfall when I was a kid. And I looked it up and it wasn't as much snow as I thought it was. Uh, And this year, 2021 snow was definitely more. And it's just just looking out the windows and it's February and it's cold and you know how it feels when you're looking out the windows and the snow's coming down and it keeps on stacking up on the railings of your deck and it's like oh my gosh there's four inches out there and you look again a little while later and it's six inches and eight inches and oh my gosh is that is that a foot of snow out there and you go out there and you're looking at the weather and it's like my god we've got a foot of snow and they're predicting more and it just keeps on coming until there's fully two feet of snow on the ground and just like so much fun and so I mean of course like down here in the south like that shuts everything down nothing's happening when there's two feet of snow Uh, we can hardly deal with an inch of snow and somehow we like never lost power or anything like that and I had a bunch of firewood stacked up and you know from the yurt trip like my kids knew how to build fires even better and so I kept the fireplace rocking all, all winter that week and And every single day we would just like bundle up and walk up to Crestwood Elementary School, which is just two blocks, you know, up from our house where, where the kids, you know, went to school and go to school. And, you know, we would just kind of the whole neighborhood would kind of gather up there at Crestwood and back behind the school, there's this great little hill. That's kind of like the perfect, you know, sort of gradual sledding hill. And every day we would just go out there and, and sled, you know, and, and, you know, we'd bring, you know, drinks and lawn chairs and music and hang out. And, and the kids would just freaking have a blast, you know, and eventually we ended up like kind of building a little ramp out of snow, you know, so that we could really, uh, you know, up our sledding game and everything. And it was just literally, there was like three, maybe four days in a row of that. And we ended up like kind of coordinating with, with more neighbors. And, you know, these kinds of times you end up kind of talking to neighbors that you don't talk to as much. And, kind of build a little crew. And, and, you know, one day it was like, all right, same time tomorrow, man, noon at the school and everybody shows up. And one of our neighbors works at a brewery and he drug a wagon up there full of just different growlers of beer from the brewery. And he's passing them around and we're listening to UB 40 or something. And kids are sledding and people had brought out like, you know, tubes like that you use on the lake, but like we're sledding with them. And It was just a freaking party, man. All the kids are having fun. The adults are having fun. My buddy Whitley, um, you know, he started, like, pushing everybody. Like, his thing is just about making everybody, like, anytime there's an opportunity to do something, like, wild and awesome, like, he's going to be doing it Um, just because he likes to see what he can, like, pull off, I guess. And so he starts pushing people down the hill. Like, he would run. He'll kind of, like, you know let his body go for the sake of the moment and so he would run down the hill and like you know crash as he's trying to push somebody and then they just launch them off of this ramp and I have all these great slow motion videos of of that happening and the adults were getting into it and oh my gosh it was so fun and then after we finished sledding you know we'd walk back to my house and and you know get the fire back roaring again and you know, put on a movie and, and eat some snacks and just, just kind of have that fun, fun time that that you want to have, that you dream about, you know, the the stuff of memories. And so that was just um, an, an amazing, amazing experience. And just, I remember walking around the neighborhood and just like, just really taking in the beauty and the magic of like a major snowfall. And everything is so quiet and everybody's kind of settled and slow and you kind of just settle in and I just love that vibe of like, you know, you just get a different perspective on your world, you know, and the light looks different. And, you know, the the wildlife acts a little bit different. And the squirrels and the birds kind of don't come out as much. And it's just such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, And so that's this, this winter was the winter of snow for sure. Moving on from that, you know, it's starting to be springtime and you know, I'm I'm thinking about you know business and stuff, and you know people are you know the the idea of vaccines are starting to come out, and it seems like things are going to open up, and and you know my camp arc business is really working, and I'm selling lots of maps and merch and and stuff, and you know I'm I'm bringing back this screw misery brand that I had played with a little bit, and I'm doing like more graphic design stuff, and eventually I kind of open up my business to this bigger idea that I had had for years. And um, and I wanted to just kind of expand on the things that I do. Where Whereas prior to this, it was kind of like just photography being my main thing and the camp art business kind of being the side gig. In April of that year, I kind of opened it up really big, um, at least like sort of theoretically. And I changed the name of my company from... Jacob Slayton Photography, LLC, to Whatever Media Group, LLC. And that was an idea that i had had for a while. I wanted to open it up. And uh, several years ago, maybe five, six years ago, I had written out this note where I kind of outlined my plan for expanding my business. And at the top of the page, because I didn't really have a name for the bigger thing, I just called it Whatever Media Group. And I was like, I'll I'll replace that name later, you know but it's like the idea of like kind of a media being like the plural of the word medium, which is just like anything that you use to convey something or or whatever, you know what I mean? And so that's what I want it to be. I want to have like lots of avenues to kind of express myself, if you will, and to make money. And so I kind of opened it up and I started whatever media group, and now I'm doing more graphic design stuff for clients. And kind of building like a bigger, more um, expansive kind of uh, brand or company or whatever you want to call it. And so I I was really excited about that. And I still am. And, And moving on into May, we had another really fun trip scheduled with our friends, the McCormicks, David and Elizabeth McCormick, our neighbors down the street who we had become really close with. And 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 our kids just love each other and stuff and we've we've gotten into biking a lot together riding bikes mountain biking you know whatever you know whatever whatever we wanted to do but it was we did a lot of biking together and we had this idea that we really wanted to to ride um this trail called the Katy Trail in Missouri um or at least do like a chunk of it and so we had been making plans and booking places and everything and the Katy Trail is like this uh, rails to trails, you know, system in, uh, in Missouri, where they've taken an old uh, railroad and turned it into basically just like a really nice, um, like uh, crushed gravel, you know, pretty much flat bike trail or hiking trail uh, and and just for people to enjoy. And so we booked a trip out there and we, we went out to Missouri and we left the kids at Makai's parents' house And me and Makaya and David and Elizabeth um, load up our bikes for four or five days of riding on the uh, on the Katy Trail. We ended up doing 140 miles. And it was just such a fun, awesome trip, you know, with new friends and kind of new place and, and new thing, new idea. You know, I had never done like a distance biking trip of any kind. I'd never even done like an overnight, you know, on a bike. And so we all had our gear kind of packed up and, you know, we're just cruising and like seeing the world in slow motion, you know, just kind of riding through the countryside. And it was just so much fun. And I brought a chessboard and me and David would play chess at night and drink beer and, you know, just kind of riding and chatting and, and joking and getting all those little inside jokes and funny memories that you'll always have. And, you know, walking to different restaurants, you know, in the evening and stuff and drinking wine and staying in different places. Like, This stuff is just so much fun, man, and we ended up staying in another yurt on that trip, which is fun, Um, and just just had an absolute blast uh, doing the Katy Trail with them. And we headed back to Arkansas, and in June, uh, June 10th, uh, this little kind of impromptu concert uh, with my friends Hannah and Amanda. Um, they had been uh, recording some music together and putting it on Instagram and it was like so freaking good. And so David had the idea of like, let's do a backyard, you know, concert with these ladies and and just invite people and and let them play their songs and and let's just kind of get some people together. And, you know, so we started making plans and for June 10th, we're going to have this show and then the weather started to look bad. And so we ended up moving it to this coffee shop, you know, where they work Um, Downtown, the Fidel and Company, a great little coffee shop, and uh, and and we all kind of gather for this show, and it was kind of like, in in my mind anyway, like one of the first like gatherings that we did since COVID started, you know, a year and a half of not getting together, and then we get together for this little show, and and like all these people kept showing up, you know, and they're selling beer at the show, and it was just like this freaking celebration of like we're going to make it, you know, and these, you know, Hannah and Amanda play these just beautiful, like songs that are just like inspiring just the beautiful voices of two women just absolutely singing their hearts out. And it was just beautiful. And I remember looking around at that, at that little event and, you know, I'm just thinking like, everything's going to be okay. Like, I feel like we're going to get out of this. Like maybe some things are coming back, you know, and it was just like an inspirational, like moment for me um, where it felt like we were turning the corner, you know, whereas like 2019 was just terrible. And 2020 was, you know, kind of half and half and 2021 starting to feel pretty good, you know, and we've got this little church kind of coming together and, you know, we're, we're kind of getting it together, you know, things are coming back and I was just excited. And then a week later, um, I, I get some really, really terrible news. Um, my buddy, uh, my buddy fat calls me. Uh, I call him fat. I've talked about him before. Fat calls me up and, um, he goes, Hey man. And I could say, we, we talk a lot and it's always generally like joking and silly and stuff, but he calls me up and he goes, Hey, uh, he had this serious tone of voice. And I was like, Oh shit, you know, something happened. Um, and he said, he said, man, I've got some bad news. I said, okay. And he goes, um, he goes, earlier today, um, our friend Zach Thixton was flying. He, he, he was a pilot, um, kind of a, just a hobby pilot, and he had been getting into flying again since COVID, and he was on a flight today, and, um, and he crashed, and he died. Um, and so I'm just calling to tell you that. And it was like, oh, my God, what? are you kidding? And, um, you know, I I don't know if I've mentioned Zach on this podcast yet, but, um, he's a guy that I've known since high school and been close with and, and gone to, um, you know, he's been in men's groups with me and gone on men's retreats together and just fun trips and so many concerts and, and, you know, college and, and just life. And, and, um, you know, at this point, you know, we, uh, we hadn't hung out for a little while, but we would, we would call or text each other. You know, we would text about once a week or so just silly, funny things, or we'd talk on the phone every month or so and, and hang out every now and then. And, you know, um, he's just like such a good guy, like so, um, genuine and so, funny and, and fun and always cracking jokes and always making people laugh and smile. And I, and then I find out that he died, you know, and I think he was only 37 or 38 years old. And, um, and he left behind, uh, a beautiful, awesome, wonderful wife, Ruthie and three kids. And, um, it's just so, so, so crushing, man. Such a, um, you know, just seems so pointless, you know, and like, it's just an accident. Um, it was just like a devastating man. And I mean, I I could talk about that a lot. Um, but you know, for the sake of this podcast, um, it was just really sad to lose a friend, you know, and, and during that week, you know, I, uh, you know, as you do, you kind of go back and you read old text messages and listen to old voicemails that you might have and read old emails and, look for old pictures, and I I had searched and found all these great old pictures of me and Zach from the years, and texted them to Ruthie, and just said, like, hey, like, gosh, I I can't even imagine, Um, and I don't have any words for you, but maybe you'll enjoy looking at these pictures that you've probably never seen before, and she was really thankful, you know, that I shared those pictures, and and she said, you know, uh, I'm glad you contacted me, because, you know, I want to ask if you'd like to be a pallbearer for the funeral. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, um, I I would, I would be honored to be a pallbearer, you know, um, like anything I can do, I'd love to do. And I would love to be a pallbearer. So, you know, that was special for me to get to serve as a pallbearer at his funeral. And gosh, it's such a strange thing. You know, I'm sure some of you guys have have lost a loved one and you've maybe even lost a friend or somebody that's young and unexpected. And, um, it's just such a strange thing, you know, to, to carry, you know, my friend's casket, you know, with, with some other good brothers, you know, um, and pick it up off of the, uh, off of the rack and put it in the back of the hearse, you know, just carry his weight a little bit. Um, it felt good. It felt heavy, you know, in in a, in a sort of a spiritual and, and even physical sense, you know, um, and then to to carry the casket out of the hearse and over to the burial site and set it down on those on that rack, you know, that, that lowers it down into the ground. And the uh the memorial service was just beautiful and just heartbreaking. Um anytime anybody dies it's sad, but especially when it's a young, healthy person with a with a young family, it's just especially crushing. Then so, you know, yeah, we did the memorial service, and we went out to the burial site, and, you know, some of us guys went and got uh, got a beer, like, in between the, the funeral and the memorial, or the, the memorial and the burial, and, you know, just catching up, and it was really good to, to see a lot of old friends, you know, Zach was kind of one of those guys that, that really did a good job of staying in touch with people, you know, over the years, and, um it was just really good to uh, reconnect even though it was over uh, sad circumstances, you know. Um, So we did the burial. And I remember like, you know, they did the little, the burial service part is kind of short and sweet. You know, everybody's in black and Ruthie's just like sobbing, of course, and just devastated. And, you know, her kids are probably too young to even really understand what's going on. But it's just such a sad thing. And Zach's mom was so sad and, uh, it's just heartbreaking, man. But, um, I don't know, for whatever, whatever it's worth, it it was really special for me to be able to be a pallbearer for that and, and just carry my brother to his resting place, you know? And, and after the burial was over, you know, people kind of start filtering out and, and they lower the casket down. And I remember just like standing there, like I just didn't want to leave. Like I wanted to watch it all the way home, you know? Um, and and sure enough, like the uh and people are cleared out completely, you know, and, and the you know, he's in the ground, you know, and the, the uh the, the backhoe comes over to start pushing the dirt on it and that's when I left. I was like, Well that's it, man. You know, he's gone and he's he's under the ground now, he's not coming back. And it was just so sad and like you know, then later that night me and the guys all get together again and And just kind of have our own like memorial service you know just us you know and 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 it was really fun there was probably 15 guys there and i i just said like hey look let's just we didn't all get to speak at the funeral at the memorial service but like now's our chance so i said like let's just go around and like you know maybe just tell a funny story or, or something special or a memory and like let's all say something about zach and it was just so cool to go around and just hear everybody's kind of different perspectives and different stories and there was so much like laughing and fun and and just um <laughs> you know it's just so much fun to to hear those those special stories and stuff and 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 then you know we we really cried hard, man, we closed it out with um some some worship music and and just saying a prayer together and just sobbing, you know just just being broken hearted and shedding some tears for our boy, you know and uh you know what's strange and interesting about that and and him him dying was like from that point on I just had this this phrase in my head um whenever like every now and then it'd just pop up to me and it's like when my kids ask me like hey can we stay up and watch a movie or can we um Can I have another cookie? It's like all those little things that your kids always ask you for that you're kind of inclined to say no to a lot of times. But in my head, when my kids would ask me something like that, in my head, I would just say, Zach's dead. You know, Zach is dead. Like that that phrase comes up a lot. And what that means to me is Zach's dead and he can't do any of this with his kids. He can't give his kids an extra cookie. He can't stay up late with his kids, snuggling on the couch. He can't, you know, take his kids to play disc golf or take his kids out to dinner or take his kids to a movie. So, yeah, the answer is yes. Whatever you want to do, let's freaking do it because Zach's dead and he can't. And if he could, he would come back and say yes to all of this stuff because at the end of the day, it's just time and it's fun and it's great. And and so in, in a way, like, Zach's death has made my life um, more meaningful because I recognize how short it is and how it could be over at any moment. And so, like, just live while you can live, man. You know, that's that's what it means to me, you know. So later on in the summer, Micaiah turns 40. She's a couple months older than me, which I never let her forget. And, uh, we go out to dinner with, uh, with some friends and we go bowling and get some good food and just have a, have a silly fun time together. And we both plan some pretty big trips for, um, uh, July, we both plan some pretty big trips for July. And I'm going to tell you about that kind of at the end of this episode. So I'm skipping over that for right now. We are going to come back to it. But before I do that, I want to tell you a couple more things, and then I'm going to tell you about my 40th birthday trip, and then we're going to shut this baby down, okay? So in 2021, I've got a few musical memories that are really, really fun. Um, In July of 2021, we finally get to see Fish play in Arkansas. Um, They had scheduled a show for 2020 before COVID, And then COVID happened and it got rescheduled for July of 2021. And so that trip finally came up and I go up there with my buddy Holmes and David and, uh, and, and stay with my little brother and my friend Taylor shows up and Brady comes to this thing and, uh, we go see fish. And I mean, it was just one of the most fun nights that you can possibly imagine, um, We ended up riding bikes from my brother's house in Bentonville to Rogers, where the concert was, walk around the parking lot, you know, do the whole lot thing and, and then go into the show and see fish. I mean, oh my gosh, fish is one of the greatest of all time. And I've seen him several times and it's always a freaking blast, but it was especially fun kind of like this, uh, this kind of, it's not really post COVID, but it feels like it in some ways. Definitely the first like big thing that I went to in terms of like a concert or a big gathering of people. And like, you know, it was, you know, probably not a great idea. We kept masks on most of the time, but like, oh my gosh, fish is just on a tear right now too. Like they're just absolutely killing it the last couple of years. And so we go see fish, we're high fiving with people, we're having a blast. And strangely enough at this show we end up seeing some friends from college that I hadn't seen in a long time. And one of them was my ex-girlfriend, Mindy, which I talked about in previous episodes. Um, But it was so good to see her and her husband. And I'd I'd known him too. And and they had their little group of people. And we end up kind of standing with them during the show. And it was just so fun to reconnect with her. And then strangely, um, while I was talking to Mindy, I turn and there is my other ex-girlfriend, Casey. And it was so good to see her. And so i hugging both of them and just like, oh, it's so good to see you guys, man. And, um, you know, it was just such a fun, like, weird um, reunion to just, like, bump into, you know. And at the same time, I'm thinking, like, this is strange. Like, I, I hope I don't end up seeing any of my other ex-girlfriends here. Like, these two is fine. Um, but uh, it was so cool to see them. And we just had an absolute blast at the show, just dancing our asses off and and you know, singing all the words and just just grooving and having fun. And anytime I go to a concert, I always like make a note to like turn around and look at the crowd behind me and see the smiling faces and the dancing people, and look up at the sky and see the stars and just kind of take in the whole view. Like I always want the wide angle view. Um, and I, so of course I did that, and just it's just beautiful and amazing. After the show, we ride bikes back to Scram's house and uh i mean just just an absolutely like magical magical fun time you know and then the next month in august uh, we had another really fun concert lucinda williams and jason isbel came to little rock and my brother scram and his wife rachel came down for that so we go see uh, jason isbel and lucinda williams which was so freaking fun down at the little rock uh, riverfront amphitheater if you haven't heard Lucinda, I mean, she's just amazing. And I'd heard her a lot, but I hadn't really listened to a lot of Jason Isbell, believe it or not. And so that was really fun, too, to kind of experience like him for the first time. Um, it Just just had a freaking great time. Just, just outdoor concerts in the summertime is one of the greatest things ever. Had an absolute blast. And then moving into September, I got to tell you another strange thing that happened that year. So it was actually late August. I did a photo shoot for, um, a client, a really big client. I don't want to name names, but it was a really big client for, um, a thing that people have heard of, but I'm not going to, I don't want to sell anybody out here, but it was a really good, like two day shoot up in Bentonville, um, for this, this big sort of thing. And, uh, long story short, there was a lot of miscommunication that happened and, you know, basically I had like a schedule for each of these two days of the shoot. They had hired me for two full days and I had a schedule. And for whatever reason, the producer of the shoot wasn't going to be there in person. And so, but I had these schedules and I'm connecting with my people on set and everything. And, you know, I wasn't the primary photographer. I was not running the thing at all. Um, I was shooting like with a video crew and, and I was just kind of shooting stills. And basically like the very first thing that happened on the very first day was that it was clear that our whole schedule was like out the window, but the video crews filling in time and shooting stuff anyway. And like, you know, some things were happening, but most of it wasn't. And so they were kind of calling audibles and doing different things. And so since they hired me to shoot for two days, I just, I just shot everything and I did everything. I shot whatever they were shooting, you know, again, I'm not running anything. I'm just tagging along with the video crew and I came back submitted my photos and uh and I get a call from the um producer well actually I didn't get a call first I got an email and it was like essentially like this is the worst crap we've ever seen it's unusable it's garbage it's garbage it's garbage, it's garbage. and I was like okay time out um you know and she had all these questions like why didn't you shoot this why didn't you shoot this why didn't you shoot this why didn't you shoot this, why didn't you shoot this? So right back and I'm like, okay, um, I hope I'm not the first person to tell you this, but the schedule, n- none of that stuff actually happened. So that's why I didn't shoot it. It wasn't available. To, I-, I couldn't do it. You know, no, the video crew didn't shoot it either. So that's why it's not there. And that's why I have all this other stuff instead. And I, I thought, since you guys hired me that I should go ahead and shoot it, why would I just go home or stop? Because the original plan didn't happen. Like if the video crew is shooting, I'm shooting. And so that was the answer to that. And and then to her, like, criticism of the pictures, I was just like, you know, look, I'm giving you, like, a pretty wide edit, um, which a lot of times that's what they want. This is a new producer that I hadn't worked with before. But I said, you know, I can pare it down. Like, don't don't get upset for seeing too much. I can always cut it down. And I said, like, yeah, like, not every shot's going to be a winner, but, like, a lot of this is really good. A lot of this is exactly what you asked me to to do, at least in terms of, like, you know, the, uh, maybe not the subject matter, but like the quality of the shots is just as good as the video's quality of the shots. You know, it is what it is. And she just ripped me to shreds. I mean, it was like the worst, um, asked you and I had ever gotten over an email. And pretty quickly I realized like, okay, she is probably getting in trouble for something on her end. And she's, um, using me as a scapegoat. And, uh, I, I understand that it's not cool. Um, it's not okay to do that, but I I could pretty much divorce myself from it in the sense that like, my stuff's not that bad. She's just getting yelled at and is trying to take it out on somebody else. And, uh, long story short, like it gets to the point where, um, she's sounding, she's sounding like she's not going to pay me for this stuff in, in, in a weird turn of events. All of this culminates on my 40th birthday, September 2nd, 2021, I'm turning 40. And I have a phone call scheduled with this lady, and she basically says, like, this is worthless, and you ruined everything, and we're not paying you. And it was like, shit, you know. And It was kind of one of those things where I was just like, look, um, you do whatever you feel like you got to do. Um, I- I'm not one to, like, lay down and just get walked all over, but you know what are you going to do and i said like listen do whatever you think you need to do i said my shots are not bad um they're absolutely you know there's lots of usable stuff in there and i had even included like some funny stuff like where the subject was like looking at me and sticking their tongue out and yeah like they don't they're not going to use that you know in any real sense but i thought like i'm going to include this cuz it's a funny behind the scenes thing like maybe use it on her birthday or something i don't care and she got all mad at me for including this stick-in-the-tongue-out picture. And I was like, relax, it's one shot, you know, move on. So it was that kind of stuff, and she said none of it's usable, and it's like, anyway, so they didn't pay me. It's the very first time I've ever um, not been paid for a photo job and just, like, been denied. And then I talked to another person, and she was, like, apologizing and said, like, look, this producer that's being a hard-ass – It's her first job back after getting laid off and she's under the gun and blah, blah, blah. So that was just really, really not cool. Um, But hey, it happened, man. And it was just, it's hard to to hear negative feedback and stuff, but it was really good at the same time to just kind of be like, you know, this is not about me. This is not about me. And like, again, Zach's dead. And so I'm not going to get too upset about this. I'm going to live my life and love my people and my family and just get on with it. Uh, But it was a very weird way to turn 40. Um, Very weird indeed. But whatever, life goes on. And I got to tell you about one more fun thing that happened this year before we go back in time so I can tell you about my Colorado backpacking trip for my 40th birthday. So in November of 2021, we had this event booked that I was really excited about. And it was going to be our third annual adults-only camp out at Mississippi River State Park, uh, down near Marianna, Arkansas, it was our third year to do it. The first two years were really fun, but they were kind of a lot smaller. And on this year, I wanted to really tie in my Camp Arc business and uh, to the whole thing, and kind of basically make it a Camp Arc branded thing. And so, back in February, I actually booked out the entire campground at Mississippi River State Park. We had every single site booked we were going to lock it all down and have it all to ourselves and i had to call and talk to the superintendent of the park and kind of clear with her like some plans of what we were going to do and everything and and so basically to spare you all the details of like all the planning and everything what i did was i sold sites you know to people to couples and made it like adults only no kids allowed this is just a time to get away from your kids and and goof around and have a good time. And I sold these sites along with like kind of the event package, which included like t-shirts and, you know, branded koozies and stickers and fun stuff. And anyway, so we get to the weekend. It's completely sold out. Um, The third weekend in November, which is also uh, me and Micaiah's uh, 17th wedding anniversary. And I mean, it, it was just so fun for it to all come together and just happen so perfectly. And we were worried about the weather, but it kind of it cleared out and it was just going to be nice. It was going to be cold. And I had basically like all of my friends come down for this thing. Um, I mean, it was just so much freaking fun to like well me and Makai got there one night early to just kinda be there and be set up and check in and all that stuff. And so we had our first night there that was it was fun to just kinda hang with her. And then the second day like in the afternoon people start showing up and, and, and showing up and more people are showing up and trailers and campers are pulling in and people are setting up and they're getting excited and it was just so much fun for me to have the whole campground all to ourselves. And so that first night was just a blast. People were coming over to my campground to like check in with me and get their like loot bag that they had purchased. And now people are wearing my shirts and they've got my hats on. And it was just so much fun to see like just something come together just to produce something that was big and fun. And, you know, again, after COVID and, you know, for so many people like we just haven't done stuff like this yet and and it was just so good to just get back together and kind of be outside in this environment just for the purpose of like celebrating and having a good time you know and so friday night was amazing we just clown around I'm seeing old friends I haven't seen in a while and reconnecting with people and just hugging and hanging and you know having drinks and cooking good food at the campfire and and just having a blast and then on Saturday morning we had um like a I mean I had this like schedule of events that that was just really really fun we had a yoga session with our friend Maddie and she did this amazing job um you know with the yoga and people were walking out of the yoga and you could just see on their faces they were like oh that was so good and a friend of mine came up to me and she was like in tears and uh, I was like, Hey, you're right. And she was like, that was just the best. Like, she was like, this is exactly what I need. Thank you so much for putting this on. I was like, Oh, my gosh, give me a hug. This is great. It makes me so happy that you're happy, you know. Uh, and that was just kind of the vibe, man, people were just freaking having fun. And, and I just spent the whole weekend like cruising around on my skateboard around the campsites and just stopping and checking in with people and saying what's up. And, you know um kind of meeting some new people that I didn't really know and it's just so great and then Saturday afternoon we had a bago tournament which would, had become kind of a tradition of these um adults only weekends and there's all these people i mean i think i had almost 70 people there at this thing and so like almost everybody played bago with like a partner and so we had to build this bracket and make it all happen, and, and uh, my buddy Whitley kind of took over and, and sort of helped organize and get the event, you know, the bag thing going, because I was a little bit overwhelmed with that part. And we get it going, and me and Mackay are on a team, and we win our first game, and, you know, we, we wait for our second game to start, and we, we get to our second game, and we win that. And long story short, we get down to the final two, us and this new couple that we didn't even know. Nobody there knew. They just showed up on a whim, and they were super cool, the Parkers. And it's us versus the Parkers for the championship, you know, and all the people are gathered around we've got music playing, everybody's laughing and you know heckling and having fun. And me and Makaya end up winning the whole damn thing, (laughs) which was, like, so fun and ridiculous. Like, I was not expecting to, like, organize a bag tournament and then win it, you know? Uh, So, and I had originally thought, like, I'm going to get a trophy, like, a big, dumb trophy to give to the winner. And I'm glad I didn't do that because I would have had to, like, give it to myself and it would have (laughs) been just dumb and funny. But that was just so much fun, man. Again, just, like, being with my lady, laughing, having a good time playing bago and like just being outside and just celebrating life really. And, and then later that afternoon we had the thing that I was the most excited about, which was, uh, live music from this band, the gravel yard bluegrass band. If you haven't ever heard of them, look them up the gravel yard bluegrass band. They're incredible. Uh, my friend Chris Denny is the lead singer and he's so good. Oh my God. He's so good individually on his solo stuff and he's amazing with this band and the band is super talented and it's just like this kind of good time down home bluegrass band and so they set up on one of our friends tent pads and they had a pa system and you know everybody kind of gathered around and set up their camp chairs and people were still playing bago you know off to the side and just you know, there was people dancing and just hanging out, and, and it was just the whole vibe was everything that I wanted it to be, man. And, and the, the boys from the gravel yard band, just and, and lady, the one lady, the banjo player, who's in, incredibly good, they just gave us a freaking damn good time. And one of the really fun things that happened at this event was this couple that showed up that I didn't know. They were friends of my brothers. They actually had gone on a hike earlier in that day, and they had gotten engaged. That day, um, which was like so freaking cool and and they came back and like told my brother and I was like, "Oh my God, that's amazing like they're always gonna remember this trip because of that and uh, and so about halfway through the gravel yard show, I walk up to Aaron the bass player, and I say, "Hey, man, there's a couple here that got engaged today, so if you could if you like you know maybe have a love song or something that you could dedicate to them." you know, and just say something about that, that would be, that would be fun, you know? And so he was like, all right, cool, cool. And so, you know, the very next song, they're like, hey, uh, so we hear that um, there's a couple here that got engaged today, you know, who is it? And they sort of stand up and wave their hand, everybody cheers for them and everything. And and they they say some funny stuff and they end up playing the song, That's How I Got to Memphis by Tom T. Hall, which is a great, great, like, love song about just doing whatever you got to do for your lady, you know? And so that was just, there's like these memories are being made, you know, and it was just so much fun. They played an amazing show and they they broke their stuff down and everything. And then that night, because it was like Thanksgiving was the following Thursday, we decided to have like our Friendsgiving, like the big Thanksgiving dinner with friends there at the campground. Um, my buddy David had made a turkey and Micaiah had made all these sides and fixins, and other people were contributing stuff. And I mean, it was a proper, like... Thanksgiving meal. It wasn't like a camping version of a Thanksgiving meal. It was a legit Thanksgiving meal. And people were bringing stuff over to our campsite. And we had this like potluck style Thanksgiving with like, literally everything that you would expect to have on a Thanksgiving table. I mean, we had like, pie and dessert, you know, cranberry sauce and green beans and turkey and dressing and all this stuff. And oh my gosh, it was so freaking good. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like cold, I'm tired, I'm, you know, buzzing and just stuffing my face. And and then like, sure enough, like people sort of start to gather. And that was one of the fun things of this event was like, people would just kind of show up at each other's campsite, you know, in the evening and just kind of hang out for a minute. And so we had a big fire going and, um, you know, people just kind of showing up and, and sure enough, after a while, there is twenty people at my campfire, and we're laughing and talking, and just kind of the roar of the fire and the and the chatter and the laughing. It just made me so happy. And I was talking to my friend Cora, and uh, you know, and I, I realized like, oh my gosh, I am freaking tired. Like it's been a day, and uh, like I look around after Cora and I f- finished talking, and I was like, nobody's talking to me right now. I am about to go lay down in the camper, <laughs> and I go in the camper. It's eight o'clock at night. And I freaking crashed like I was dead to the world, ended up just sleeping for two hours, woke up again at 10 and came out and, and, uh, you know, hung out a little while longer. But like, I mean, that's my kind of day where where you're so freaking tired at the end of it and just um, exhausted in the best possible way that you just crash. Um, and, And it was just such a fun, fun event. Everybody was so happy uh, with it. And I remember waking up on Sunday morning, uh, or maybe it was Saturday morning, but I woke up one morning and I sort of walk out of the camper and get a cup of coffee. And I, I just like shout to the whole campground, good morning, everybody. And like 15 people from across the way, like turn around and they're like, good morning, Jacob. And it was I was like, it's just so cool to like have this whole place to ourselves and not be bothering anyone. And, and so, you know, it, it was just an amazing, amazing time and, and just a great way to kind of, bring in like the fall, like holiday season and all that stuff. And, uh, anyway, so moving on from there, um, the rest of the year, you know, just kind of has gone the way that, you know, you want it to, you know, it's been pretty good, you know, it's been pretty good. But before I wrap this up, I got to go back in time and tell you about our backpacking trip that we did in the summer, uh, for my 40th birthday. So a couple, two, three years ago, me and my buddy Ryan realized that he would be turning 50 the same month that I would be turning 40. And so we thought, dude, we should do a big, uh, like a big hiking trip together, you know, for our 40th and 50th birthdays. So we kind of had that in our brain for a while. And so as the uh, date was approaching, you know, much earlier this year, we started thinking, okay, what do you want to do, man? What's the plan? Let's do something. And the the plan was always going to be, you know, a hiking, backpacking trip type thing. And uh, and so we eventually landed on the idea of let's go to Colorado and just climb some 14ers. Let's climb some mountains and just get out there and have a good time and spend, you know, a week or so and, and just just have a good time, right? Meanwhile, Makai is also planning a 40th birthday of her own. Uh, girls trip out to California. Um, and they were kind of, they had that all figured out. And so we were going to do our own kind of separate things, you know, for our 40th, which was really fun. But as the date approaches, the trip starts to come together and, and we start to kind of make the real plans and it, it expanded from just me and Ryan to being me and Ryan, my buddy Holmes, uh, Whitley came, my buddy Barrett, um, and our friend Peyton came. Oh, and our friend Craig, Craig, uh, from church, the guy that had just turned 70 a couple years before, the backpacking guru, the trip leader, the summit leader, um, the uh, the guru, right? Uh, so this is our crew, right? Um, and it's people's ages range from like 24 to like 71, I think. Uh, so it was fun. It was a really good group of people and all really close friends of mine. So we pack up the cars, and I actually had a photo shoot in Phoenix uh, for the week like prior to this. And so what I was going to do was I was going to fly from Phoenix to Denver, and I was going to meet up with my buddy Wes, and we were going to go see a concert, and then I was going to hook up with the Colorado group that was going to be showing up um, for the backpacking week. So I had like two weeks of just being out there, which was really fun for me. So I shoot the thing in Phoenix, which was great, fly to Denver, and uh, get an Uber to my hotel. And then my buddy Wes shows up and meets me at the hotel. And we go out to see this band called Goose um, at the Sculpture Park or Sculpture Garden or whatever it's called in Denver. And this band Goose, I had been listening to a lot lately. And they're like this new sort of uh, generation of like jam band or like groove band that has been just absolutely crushing it lately and i had uh i had only been listening to goose for a couple months but i was so excited about going to see them so wes and i go see goose in denver and it was just like unfreaking believable man uh bare feet on the grass you know outside in denver it's just a beautiful day just perfect weather and you know we're drinking uh some coors banquet you know colorado beer and watching this band just of these, they're young guys and they're just like sort of inspired and they're just unbelievably talented. And and they played this song um, at, uh, at the show, like towards the end. And really at this point in, in my listening to Goose, like I didn't really know all the songs, you know. At all. I didn't know the names of them. I was just kind of barely scratching the surface, mainly just watching whatever they had on YouTube. But they played this song like towards the end of the show, which I later learned is called El Meg the Wise. And it was this like really long jam, maybe 15 minutes long, uh, maybe more. But at the end, they kind of come back into this um, chorus, like in this just beautiful moment of coming back together. And the line in the song that just really stuck with me was, Keep my hands sewn on, Lord. I need them still. Oh, it's just beautiful, man. Keep my hands sewn on, Lord. I need them still. It was, it was just like such a cool like image of like a guy that's got some shit to do, like more work to do, man. Keep me together, Lord. I got things to do, you know? And that's what it started to feel like in me. Like after all the mess, after being 40 years old or turning 40 and and just having Um, just the those troubles and struggles of life. It's like this inspirational song from this band of young people that are like, "We got shit to do, man." I'm excited about it. It was just very like um, inspiring to to feel that, especially on the edge of you know turning forty and just kind of looking at what's really you know the second half of my life. You know, so the whole goose show is amazing. And that night, I stay at the hotel and say goodbye to Wes and. We had a great time and then I I had to um, take an Uber down to the train station and I was going to get a bus from the Denver train station to, I think the town was called Walsenburg in Colorado. I had like a hour or two drive south and I was going to kind of intersect with the group that was coming in for the backpacking trip. So that's what happened. I get off in Walsenburg and I go get some lunch at Subway and my guys show up like, you know, just 20 minutes after I'd gotten there. So it was kind of perfect timing. And we start driving up into the hills, you know, away from civilization. And we go up this road um, towards um, the mountain Blanca. There's a, there's a group of three mountains in this area called uh, Blanca, Ellingwood, and Little Bear. And the plan was to climb all three of those mountains, but we had to go up this long, crazy, ridiculous off-road dirt road, you know, up to the mountain. And We did that. We kind of, we drove like halfway up with the group and then we spent the night and then the next day we get up and we, we, we throw our backpacks on and we start hiking up like deeper up into this, into this valley, you know, of these three mountains. And we get up there and we found this beautiful spot next to this little lake and set up and, you know, just, just kind of, if you've ever been on one of these backpacking trips, like a lot of the fun is just, the setup and kind of getting your your stuff together and your your things kind of organized and i got my hammock set up i always love to camp in a hammock with the rain fly and you know found the right spot for that and then you're just eating dinner and kind of getting that going and it was just fun to be with everybody you know especially for like me and ryan's birthdays you know it was just really cool to have everybody up there and i don't know if it was the next day or the day after that but um we get up uh pretty early in the morning before dawn uh, to climb Blanca, uh, which is a 14,000 foot mountain there. And it was kind of, um, well, it was just one of these three mountains in this group. And I believe it's one of the tallest ones in, in Colorado, actually. But uh, but the whole group climbs uh, Blanca. And it was basically like an uneventful climb, you know, but um, it, it, it felt good. You know, I, I just love being in the mountains and climbing. And I actually was kind of sick to my stomach that morning because the night before or the afternoon before... Um, I had done a little bit of fly fishing in the lake and we caught some lake trout and uh, and we decided to cook them up because I've been watching the show alone and I was like, I could be, I could do this, you know, uh, and I know it's all about the fish. So we cooked up these lake trout and it was just disgusting. Like I, it wasn't great. And I was like immediately sick to my stomach after eating it, and it, that kind of carried on through the night and into the morning. But I was like, whatever, I'm climbing the mountain, you know, it's not that bad. And you know, anytime you climb a mountain, um, generally like half the guys are gonna really, really hate it, and half the guys are gonna love it, and uh, and that's kind of how it was, you know. Um, but we all got up, Blanca, and you know, had a great, great time, and I ended up taking. A little bit of a different route because i just like to challenge myself in the mountains i like to get my hands involved if it's just walking with my feet it can get a little monotonous and mundane but if you get off route a little bit and start to use your hands um, it just kind of awakens all the creativity and sort of the focus of your brain and and I just have so much more fun. It feels like I even have more oxygen, you know, at that. So I was kind of not really far off route, but I was just kind of doing some some light, you know, scramble climbing, you know, over these little boulders, you know, just around the route. And we get up top and it's just awesome and beautiful. And there was another guy up there that took a, a fun picture of us. And And everything. And so we climbed down and uh So the next day we wake up and we decide we're gonna climb Little Bear. And Little Bear, I didn't really I I didn't do any of the research, you know. I'm I'm not as much of a research guy as I am just like, what's the plan? Let's do it. Um but Peyton had done a lot of research on little bear and Craig um had, had climbed all of the mountains in Colorado previously, so he he knew about it too. And we knew that little bear was gonna be a little bit more dicey. It's a it's one of the more difficult climbs it's much more technical. It's much more dangerous because there's a lot of rock falls and it's just really steep and there's like ropes involved and it's just like another level of climbing. It's a, I believe it's like a class four climb, but I was excited, man. I was just super stoked. And so a few of us set out to go climb Little Bear and a few of us decided not to do it. Um, but what happened was me and Peyton and Holmes and Barrett and Craig, um get up to go climb little bear and the very beginning of little bear uh you know, once you kind of get up to hike up to the base of it the very first section of little bear is this humongous section of extremely loose rock um, and every every year it snows on it and then the snow melts and the rocks get loose like it's never really solid and if you've ever been up in the mountains like this you know that like Uh, there's not a lot of human traffic on these things. And so the rocks can be very, very precariously just kind of gently set where they are and any little movement can, can cause a rock fall, you know? And so we kind of know that going in, we've got helmets on and we're climbing up the beginning of Little Bear and we've got probably, um, I don't know, it wasn't halfway up, maybe a third of the way up Little Bear. And uh, most of us, well, all of us except for Craig, were in like a, a, a single file line kind of going up carefully, really carefully. And if you know Craig, you know that he's a little bit reckless and likes to, um, you know, maybe push the boundaries a little bit. So he was kind of off in another section climbing, you know, parallel to us, but not with us. And you know when you're when you're in one of those dicey like rock slide very loose precarious situations you're you're tense you're tense and you're nervous and you're you know um your senses are kind of up and uh and sure enough uh we hear well the whole time you're hiking, you hear sort of rocks tumbling here and there every step you take you hear some sort of slides and tumbles, but we heard a larger slide and tumble, and we look over and Craig is completely falling, um, like in an uncontrolled tumbling fall and there's rocks tumbling with them, bigger and bigger rocks. And it's, it's hard to, um, describe what it looks like when you're seeing something like this, but it's insane. And like, it, it doesn't last long, but like I look over there and there's an adult man out of control, falling, tumbling, you know, and it was probably like a 45 degree slope, maybe a little bit steeper than that. So, you know, it's steep. And there's big rocks and these rocks are tumbling and I look over and I go, Oh shit. You know, and we all kind of just like froze and we're watching this cause you can't, we couldn't get to him. But, um, this big rock is tumbling behind him and I saw that and it was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Like this trip is going to end right now. And like, we're, and literally, you know how you can sort of think a lot of things in a very short period of time during a moment like that. And I thought like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to have to, um, helicopter him out of here. Like if he breaks bones, we're not going to be able to hike him out. Um, we can, we're going to have to get him down this meadow and then hopefully a helicopter can come in. Somebody's going to have to hike out to get to cell signal, all this stuff. Craig stops falling is, and as he stops, this big rock hits him right in the back, um, like hard. And it was like a big, like rectangular kind of shaped rock that, you know, we all estimated to be probably somewhere between like 120 and 160 pound rock. I mean, it was a huge freaking rock and it slammed right into his back and it ended up like pinning his, uh, he had this big fanny pack on his back, like a hip pack. And the rock kind of landed on that. and it was He was kind of pinned down with the bag. Um, and so I was like, are you okay? And he said, I'm okay. He's kind of just sitting there. And I say, don't move at all. I'm coming over there. So he stays still. And uh, me and Peyton kind of make our way over towards him like real quickly. Um, but gingerly, you're just barely touching the rocks as you step across them. And we get over to him and we kind of get him stabilized. And he ends up having to like unclip the buckle on the front of his uh, waist pack. And then he kind of gets out of the way. And as he gets out of the way, um, he kind of slips again, and Peyton reaches out and grabs his arm, and there's, like, the rocks kind of slid a little bit more, and it was like, oh my gosh, you know, you know, then we kind of settled down, we get his pack loose from the, the rock, and I actually took a picture of the rock with my shoe next to it, with my leg next to it, just so you could see the scale of the size of this rock, and it was basically the full length of my leg, but, like, big, you know, um, so we're sitting there, and it's kind of settled down, and Barrett and Holmes are still, like, you know, where we had started, uh, and they're just kind of watching, like, are we okay? What do we need to do? And, um, and Craig said, well, you know, if you hadn't guessed I'm done climbing today, um, like that's it for me, (laughs) you know? And he had kind of set out with the idea, like, if this doesn't go well, I'm just out of here. I'm not going to push it, you know? And so basically what we decided was Barrett and Craig were going to walk down together back to the campsite, you know, and kind of take care of Craig. And he had a, pretty good scratch on his back and that me and uh, Holmes and Peyton were going to continue up potentially. And so what happened was Barrett and Craig left and me and Holmes and Peyton are still standing there and we're like, okay, well, what do you guys want to do? And it was pretty clear that like Holmes and Peyton were not, after seeing that, they weren't super excited about climbing Little Bear, but they could tell that I still really wanted to climb it because I was feeling like just really strong and really confident and and I just wanted to kind of see what what would happen. I wanted to see what was in store for me. And I, you know, so anyway, we stood there and talked about it for a long time. And I said, like, I, listen, I want to keep climbing. What do you guys want to do? And they're like, we don't want to climb. I said, okay, well, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll just go on by myself. And they're like, I don't think that's a good idea. And I'm like, trust me, I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to push it. I'm just going to, I'm going to be extremely careful. And I'm just going to see what's around the corner, you know? And after talking about it for a long time, we decided like, I'm going to keep going and they were going to go down, you know, and at this point I was just like, just inspired. Like I was just feeling drawn upward and and I just really wanted to do it. And to be honest, I was kind of excited about the idea of of climbing it solo. And in my mind, I thought like, I'm probably not going to climb this mountain all the way, but I do want to get to the top of this rock slide and climb along the ridge for a ways and kind of make my own route and see see what I can piece together, you know, and just kind of have fun with it and, and, and kind of get the flow, you know. And so uh, that's what I did. I climbed up to the top of that rock slide and I made it and, and uh, I had a walkie-talkie on me and I radioed down to camp and I said, hey, I made it to the top of the rock slide. I'm going to climb the ridge for a little while and see what happens. And so I did, I climbed along the ridge line and, and, and I just kept cruising. I just kept cruising and the mountain starts to appear, you know, the summit starts to appear and I'm going to pause right there because I'm going to pick up at that point. Um, along the summit ridge, um, after this next part of the story. And I'm going to share something with you. That's kind of cool. Okay. So after my experience on little bear, which you'll hear about in a minute, uh, I come down and I realized that, um, half the group is left with Craig because he just kind of needed to get down and, and, um, you know, he was kind of done anyway. And some of the guys were kind of ready to go anyway. So it ended up that, um, Peyton and Holmes had moved on, um, that day since they abandoned little bear, they went ahead and climbed Ellingwood. And so when I got down, it was just Ryan down there and it was just fun to just hang out with him by the lake and just relax and take it easy. And the other guys got back from Ellingwood and they had summited and had a great time. And we stayed one more night up there and then we packed up and, and hiked down and we ended up, um, going to our next, place on the uh, agenda, which was the Mountain uh, Lindsay, And so we, we drive over to this other spot and actually we went into town and got some food at a restaurant and, and went to a little grocery store and kind of stacked stocked up on some stuff, you know, beer and and just kind of bullshit like that. And, and we actually got like, we're walking around and we're kind of like, we need to celebrate these birthdays somehow. And so Peyton ends up buying us a cake that says, like, happy birthday, Jakey and Rai Rai, or something like that, something stupid. And we were like just laughing our asses off in the grocery store about that. Just like that delirious, like tired, exhausted, you know, sort of climbing brain that's just like all you want is like beer and cake and like Doritos, just like dumb crap. Like you just, you just kind of revert to like caveman mentality. <laughs> and uh, it was so much fun. So we get to Lindsay and just, um, or the, uh, the Lindsay Valley or whatever it's called and, and sort of established a really good campsite there and had a few more days of camping there and, and climbed Lindsay. And it was just a beautiful, amazing, awesome, awesome day. Um, and we, we, we had the birthday cake and just had that fun, fun time of just, um, just screwing around, man, uh, and, and laughing and talking about life and, you know, sitting out the rain and drinking PBRs and eating birthday cake and, you know, ramen and, and just like, I don't know, it's even though I can't live the dirtbag lifestyle all the time, um, man, I sure do love to do it when I can, you know, and really like over this trip, I was just like even more inspired to, um, to climb more. Like there's something about climbing mountains that, um, I just feel like just so good about it. Um, it just inspires me so much. And so, you know, when I look forward to the future, um, That's going to be something I'm going to be doing a lot more of. Um, I've done it in the past, and I can't wait to do a lot more of it. But before we talk about the future, I want to go back to Little Bear, and I want to share with you um, the audio that I recorded coming down from that mountain. I'm coming down from Little Bear, and I was just, again, alone, and I was just like inspired and happy and just feeling kind of full of life. And I pull out my phone, and I thought, I just need to record these thoughts, you know, and 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 get them down. And so, so here's the audio from me descending from Little Bear. And uh, you'll have to excuse me. I was up, it was 14,000 feet, and it's cold, and I've got the sniffles, and there's rocks falling a little bit, and you can kind of hear all of that. But this is the raw audio from coming down from Little Bear. So I'm currently... Uh, Descending Little Bear Peak in Colorado, and I wanted to uh, record some of my thoughts as I come down the mountain. And uh, so, this is one of the most difficult mountains in Colorado, if not the most. I don't know if that's true, but it certainly seemed like it. And uh, I ended up soloing it. Not because I wanted, wanted to brag about it or anything, but uh, mainly just because I felt really strong and confident this morning. And uh, anyway, I'm coming down from the summit, and uh, here's some of my thoughts. <laughs> You know, on a difficult uh you know expedition or climb or whatever you want to call it journey path, whatever's before you um, sometimes well, first of all, if it's difficult, then that means it's probably hasn't been done very much, and because of that. You're not gonna see a lot of, uh, you know, signposts or uh, signs of life in front of you. Um, You keep on marching anyway, because that's the journey you chose. Uh, And the thing is, unless you're the very first person to do it, if you look closely enough, there will be signs of life. And uh, people climb this mountain all the time. And uh, maybe not as much as some of the easier ones. But uh, when you're climbing a mountain, people will stack up a cairn, a stack of rocks, um, to show you the way. Especially in uh, areas where it may not be real obvious which way to go. Uh, So you see a cairn and you walk that way and then you look for another one and you know a lot of times there's not one there Uh, but at that point what you do is you got to just trust your instincts you know and uh, when you're trusting your instincts you know you're probably gonna be all right and sure enough sooner or later you'll see another cairn out in front of you that says, you were right, keep going, this is the way. And, you know, I just got to thinking on this climb, like, it's like God was just telling me, you may not know the whole way, you know, but trust your instincts and I'll show you the way when you're not so sure. I'm not gonna hold your hand the whole time, it's because I trust you you're smart you can do this and you keep marching sure enough there's another cairn there's God saying to you yeah you were right keep going keep cruising you're on the right track and I feel like that's exactly what we need to know. A lot of times, you know, in our lives, what we want is for somebody to hold our hand the whole time, you know, or we want there to be a rope the entire way that you can hang on to that uh, leads you the way that you need to go. But that's not going to happen. Not if you're doing something with your life, you know, not if you're doing something with your life and certainly not if you're going through something you didn't even choose you know uh, <coughs> so you gotta trust your instincts okay that's the point the other point is when I was uh, coming up this mountain today um, went up a pretty hard little gully with a lot of loose rock and, you know, a lot of small loose rock and a lot of big loose rock. And, in fact, one of the guys in our group knocked a rock loose. It was probably 160, 180, maybe 200-pound rock and, uh, tumbled down with it a little ways and, uh, rock ended up hitting him right in the back. And, uh, it could have done worse, but you don't want that to happen to you. <laughs> um, and, you know, his journey was different than mine today. Uh, and even right now, I'm on the back half of this thing. I'm only halfway home. But, you know, what am I going to do but keep marching? And uh, but I came up this uh, steep gully, and... Uh, <laughs> It was it was dicey, you know, and, and uh, the group turned back at that point, and uh, I was feeling confident, and so I kept going, and at the top of that uh, gully, you get to the uh, the West Ridge, and from the West Ridge, you can really see um, the summit, and oh my gosh, as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh hell no, I'm not climbing that thing. It was one of the most intimidating, I mean, it's almost just a sheer face. Um, Not a sheer face, but uh, from what I was looking at, it was not climbable, not for me anyway. And so I thought, well, I'm just gonna walk this ridge over to the, um, you know, get a little bit closer to the the main summit. And the ridge kind of went up and down and uh and I wanted to get a better look at it before I turned around and honestly I was just having so much fun that uh I just kind of wanted to keep cruising you know so I keep cruising I get closer to it and I thought holy shit there's no way up that thing not for me um it's like loose rock you know uh it was just uh it was just gnarly and uh I sat down and drank a little water, ate a few peanuts, and I was looking at it, and I thought, oh yeah, I remember, I got a map, and, uh, pull out this map, that, uh, my buddy Craig gave me, and, uh, you know, it's funny, we call him Summit Leader, (laughs) and, uh, sure enough, I had the map on me, and, uh, unfolded it a little bit, and, the, uh, Topographical part of the map wasn't super helpful, but on the back there was a uh, description of the route. About uh, I don't know three or four or five paragraphs with just some real kind of factual information, and it said after you get up that steep loose rock gully, you'll gain the summit ridge or the western ridge. And uh, from there, you follow the ridge to a dip. Uh, And above that dip is where I was sitting. And, And it said, the summit ridge steepens dramatically from this point forward. And I read that sentence and I thought, yeah, I'm not doing this today. Then it said, avoid these difficulties by traversing around to the right. And I took a look around to the right and I thought, huh, that doesn't look too bad. So I kept walking. Climbed down off that western ridge and I got over to the, what I guess would be the, uh, directions here, east face, south face, I don't know, a different face, and and I look up and I thought, damn, where am I going to go now, and sure enough, there's a cairn showing me the way, and so I walk to that cairn, and look around, and by God, there's another cairn, I walk to that cairn, on and on, until I arrived at the next obstacle which was a steep and dark, intimidating-looking gully known as the hourglass. So I pull out my map again, and uh, it says, continue traversing around to the bottom of the hourglass, which is the very obvious route forward. So I thought, all right. Very obvious, sounds good. So I go over to the bottom of the hourglass. Now, at this point, uh I had about oh six ounces of water left in my uh Nalgene bottle. And uh I thought, man, alright, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get to the bottom of the hourglass, I'm gonna take a little sip of water, eat a handful of peanuts, keep going. When I get to the top of the hourglass, I'm gonna take another sip of water and keep going. And according to the map, it says once you're at the top of the hourglass, you just kind of scramble up a little bit more loose stuff around to the left and you will arrive at the coveted summit. So I was planning on that. I was not excited about my lack of water, because it's a 14,000 foot mountain, and I didn't have a lot of water. And uh, so I get up to the bottom of the hourglass, and <laughs> sure enough, there is a ever-so-slight trickle of water coming down the gully, the hourglass gully, and I thought, well, I'll be damned. That's my water. (laughs) So I pop out my little uh, water filter doodad and uh, fill up the uh, water bladder, which took a little while. It was a very slight trickle, but it was water. Put my filter on top of that and within about five to eight minutes I had a completely fresh brand new bottle of water ice cold mountain water so I kept cruising up the hourglass and the hourglass was dicey and I wouldn't have been able to do it except for this beautiful purple rope that led me all the way up and so find the hourglass and when I get to the top of that, I do what the map says, scramble up, arrive at the summit. And the point is, I never thought when I was looking at that summit from the western ridge, there was no way I was going to do it. I was fully prepared. I had really made up my mind to uh call it a good day and turn around and go back but after looking at the map i thought "Well, oh, i'll check it out and the point is sometimes the insurmountable obstacle that you're staring down is not insurmountable at all you just have to change your perspective on it Get a different viewpoint. Read that sentence that says, avoid these difficulties by traversing around to the right, which is just good advice, right? I'm not trying to be a daredevil out here, I'm trying to have fun, climb a mountain, get home safe, which is exactly what I'm doing. But man, I've been in that place where I've had an obstacle in front of me. And uh, it did not look um, like I was going to be able to uh, overcome it. But sometimes you sit there for a while and look at it from a different angle. Change your perspective. Change your viewpoint. Change your mindset about the problem. And, uh, you'll find that, uh, there is a way, you know, and I'll be honest, sometimes the way is just to turn around and go back the way you came and don't try it. But sometimes it's not. There's always a way forward and there's always a way back. You can go back the way you came. That's okay there is a way forward there is a way forward and one thing you're definitely not going to do is sit there looking at that problem thinking how am I ever going to get around this thing that's not going to do you any good you move one way or another and God it feels good to know that that God is leaving, leading you onward. Look for the cairns, look for the signs of life, look for the path ahead of you. And when you don't see that, trust your instincts. You will know the way. You will know the way home, because Dad knows the way home. <laughs> Dad always knows the way home. <laughs> Hallelujah. So that's it, man. That's it. Dad knows the way home, right? Gosh, it's so true, man. I love it, man. I love hearing that. I love um, that uh, I just, God, God has inspired me so much in my life. And it's just really, really good to like look back and just reflect on it. And I encourage everyone out there to do it, whether you've made it to some milestone birthday, like 40 or not just look at where you've come from, man. Take a step back and look back over your life and look at what you've overcome and accomplished. Um, And for me, you know, I just look back at 40 years of just ups and downs and victories and failures and mountains and valleys and amazing memories and, you know, painful scars and, and, you know, so like, the question at this point, as we're wrapping this up is like, so what's the point? You know, why tell this story? Why make 25, 26 episodes of a podcast telling your life story? And there's two reasons for that. Um, number one, because your life story matters. This is something I realized back when I went through Men of the Ozarks in 2012. Your life matters. Your story matters. Before that, I, I thought that my life story wasn't going to matter. And what I learned over that weekend was your life has absolute value and meaning and and purpose. And, you know, think of it that way, look at it that way and do it that way. And the second reason I tell this story is because I don't want to tell the same stories for the rest of my life. We all know people that have been telling the same stories for years, the same stories. And it's because they haven't made a lot of new stories for most people, they get the stories that they're going to tell for the rest of their life in their 20s, maybe 30s. And they just keep telling those stories. And I, I, I'm telling you all of these stories now just to force myself to make new ones, because I don't want to be the kind of guy that's always telling the same old stories. I want you to hear the stories I got now, and then catch up with me in a couple months, because I'm going to have new stories to tell you, man, about a life that is lived with purpose and meaning and value and, and, uh, just with wild abandon man everything that you do has significance um and and it's your choices that make up the life that you live um your experience is what makes you who you are and and there's so much value in that and you just have one life to live and i, I look around and i see people that are um that are just playing it so safe you know and it's like how long are you going to wait to do the things that you've been dreaming about doing for years? How long are you gonna just keep making excuses and, well, I don't have enough money and I gotta get in shape for that and I just, I can't do this until just quit all that stuff, man? Life goes by fast, years go by fast, opportunities go by fast, and Zach is dead and there's nothing we can do about it. Live the life that you have to live, man. Take the opportunities, jump, live, breathe, stand, freaking march, climb the damn mountain. You know what I'm saying? write the book, do the thing, man, lose the weight, whatever it is, you can do it, just do it, be a whirlwind of existence, man, be a freaking whirlwind of existence. Oh, man, I'm I'm excited about the future, you guys, I'm excited about the future. Um, At 40 years old, looking back on the past and looking towards the future, I'm going to be climbing a lot more mountains, I'm going to be making a lot more memories with my family and my kids. And there's, There's weddings to go to and there's uh, babies that are going to be born and there's pain that's going to be experienced and there's opportunities that are going to be made available for us to love one another and to kind of just suck the marrow out of life, you know, just to heave and breathe and sweat and steam like a person that is freaking alive, man. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Oh my gosh. If you guys have actually stuck with me for all of the episodes of this thing, man, I thank you. It really means a lot to me. Um, you you know me and you know all my stories and being known feels really, really good. Like I've got an ally out there that loves me, that can vouch for me for better, for worse, man. You know, I am what I am. And if if you guys have enjoyed any of these 25, 26 episodes let me know, man. Shoot me a text. Um, let me know. I love to hear from people and, and share them with a friend. Share an episode that was meaningful to you with a friend. There's a lot here and I would love for people to, to hear it and listen to it and get what you can get out of it. Um, if you're enjoying this right now, take a screenshot, post it on social media, tell your friends, You know, share the thing, leave me a rating and a review, blah, blah, blah. You know all that stuff. Um, This has been really fun for me to make, and I hope it's been really fun for you to listen to. And now I am going to go live my next 40 years, and I hope that you will do the same. Thanks a lot, you guys. I love you. Peace out. Hey, thank you guys again for listening. This podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by me, Jacob Slayton. The music that you hear that I've gotten a lot of compliments on comes from the website Tribe of Noise. Um, I really, really love the tunes. I think it's perfect for this. Um, Special thanks to... My wife, Micaiah, for making time and space for me to make this thing and record it and and share our real deep life stories uh, about our history and our our experience together. I love you, baby. Um, Special double thanks to David McCormick for letting me use his house to record a lot of these episodes. Um, that's how I was able to keep things on track so thank you David and uh, double triple thanks to my kids Emma Wynn and Rosie for just being awesome awesome people and and providing so much of the background the love behind the stories that you hear in here Um, I I may be doing a bonus episode at some point in the future to kind of catch up on some you know, things I may have missed over the years and just kind of share some more stuff with you. So stay tuned for that. And again, thank you guys for listening, man. This has been really fun for me and I hope it's been fun for you too. Thanks.